But I think there are less and less areas where one could say a marketplace won't work. I think then the question is, what role do I play in the marketplace economy? Do I become myself a marketplace? Am I a seller on other marketplaces? Do I build technology to facilitate marketplace experiences? Do I do both or all three? And that's what we're seeing more and more. We're actually seeing more and more convergence between becoming a marketplace, but also using other marketplaces as channels to sell your product. You're listening to Retail Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito. Marketplaces. It is probably one of the hottest topics in the retail industry right now, and that's largely because it seems like we can't go a day without seeing another retailer start one. I mean, if we dig into the success stories and the examples, it's pretty obvious why. Creating and starting your own marketplace really creates an opportunity for you to expand your inventory, cover a wider range of categories and brands, and it allows you to capitalize on new consumer behaviors. I know I'm hearing more and more that consumers are starting their shopping experiences not at the search bar, but on a marketplace in the search function. Now, there are a lot of other trends to unpack, best practices, lessons, so I wanted to make sure I had the right person to have that conversation with, and I couldn't help but think about Adrian Nussenbaum, co-founder and CEO of Miracle. We've definitely spotlighted a few Miracle customers over the past year or two, and we've been digging deep into this marketplace trend, largely thanks to insights from Miracle and, and others. So I wanted to, again, dig a little bit deeper, identify some key best practices, lessons, and even get into why some marketplaces fail. If you're thinking about starting your own marketplace or have one but want to improve your strategy, this conversation is for you. Adrian, thrilled to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me. Hi. Hello. And I am, again, so happy to have you because marketplaces have been a huge topic and Miracle is undoubtedly one of the top companies in this booming space. But of course, you know, for those who are listening right now that may not know Miracle and what you guys are all about, can you just give a little taste about the special place the company has carved out in the industry, what value you're providing to retailers, just to set up our conversation today? Yeah, so Miracle set its course over 10 years ago to lead this space of enabling marketplaces so allowing retailers, B2B distributors, manufacturers to launch a marketplace. So we've built the leading technology to do so. And over the years, we've, we've built around this technology wealth of expertise. So a team that also supports these organizations in this transformation and also a, a whole ecosystem of value-added services that also allow marketplace to grow bigger, faster, 
that's, for example, our Miracle Connect seller ecosystem of thousands of vetted curated sellers that are immediately accessible to uh, anyone who launches a marketplace using Miracle. Excellent. And I always love hearing stories straight from founders and co-founders, which obviously you are, mainly because I always feel like there's an origin story that ties to a specific challenge or a firsthand experience. And I feel like marketplaces are so interesting, right? Because it was once like a very narrow market, right? Like a few key players. And it seems like, you know, just judging by your last response in particular, there was a opportunity to make it easier to bring that level of scale. So, I mean, going back to the initial founding story, were there any specific challenges you were hoping to solve or pain points you were hoping to address that have kind of driven or guided the vision for Miracle as a company? Yeah, I would say that when we created Miracle with my co-founder, Philippe, we ourselves had been on the other side building and running our own marketplace, first as an independent marketplace and then as part of a larger retail conglomerate. And we had seen firsthand the technological complexities behind marketplaces because you have to manage your own internal teams, merchandising, marketing, but you also have to manage third-party sellers and bringing these two different worlds together to ultimately create a great customer experience is complex. We had seen also the complexities behind change management within organizations and identified how this could be the part that technology could solve. For example, reassuring around the quality of the seller behavior and how you control that and how you make sure that the experience is great for the customers. So the things that you can manage through advanced technology and the things that you can manage through the right organization, the right processes, the right commercial approach to how you work with the third-party sellers. So really, when we launched Miracle, we really wanted to synthesize these years of being on the other side into a company that would, yes, be a technology company, but given the transformative nature of marketplaces, would be much more than just technology, would be, I mentioned earlier, also the expertise and the, and the surrounding ecosystem that allows these marketplaces to launch fast and grow faster. That's great. So I have to ask, because you've been on the other side of launching and managing a marketplace, you then built this company where you're not just providing the technology, you're providing the guidance and expertise. How do you feel about just marketplaces exploding? Like, because I know we've been covering this space for quite a while, and it seems like over the past year to year and a half, it has really accelerated, like so many exciting new developments and new players in the space. Like, what are your thoughts on where the, the space is today? And how does it kind of align with your broader vision for the retail industry and where it's headed? I mean, first, I would say I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy because um, in a way, it's about time for all the the more than 700 miracle workers who put a lot of passion in building this company, the hundreds of retail organizations and, and distributors and manufacturers who are who have been pioneers in in adopting the marketplace model early on. But I also think it's it's about time for the retail industry because this is an industry that has been challenged in the past and things are always complex trying to adapt when it's not, you know, macroeconomic. It's 
digital disruptions, it's new trends. And Marketplace is an exceptional growth lever, uh, profitable growth lever. And so uh, it's very exciting to see uh, this world change, as you were saying. I would say, though, that I'm still surprised by the pace of change in the U.S. Uh, Miracle, we, we have the chance of being a global player. So we serve customers really across more than 45 countries, every continent. And it's interesting to see how there's a bit of a paradox because in the U.S., more than 50% of online spend is done on marketplaces. Obviously, Amazon captures a large portion of it, but not just Amazon. It's also still eBay and Etsy and Walmart now and and some of the Miracle uh, customers who are catching up. But the paradox is that the adoption across retail in in the U.S. is still much lower than what we see uh, in Europe and not even talking about Asia where marketplaces are everywhere. And I think this is this is interesting. There are obviously a lot of reasons behind it and we can talk about it later if you want. But I think it's also a promise of continuous adoption in the coming years. Awesome. Yeah, definitely want to get into you know some of the nuances because obviously there have been some great success stories, great adoption stories, especially from the Miracle team, but I'm sure there are a lot of folks listening right now that have questions about like, oh, does this model work for us? And how can we tell? How do we get started? So we'll get into all of that hopefully today. But I do want to ask you, you know, you've helped retailers from Kroger to Madewell to most recently Macy's launch their marketplaces. I mean, you have a very vast client list. But I mean, at a high level, are there any common characteristics or connecting points that kind of allowed them to validate that marketplaces were right for their business? I guess really my intention here is for those folks listening right now, I want to help them identify like, oh, yes, like this is the next viable step for us or this opportunity does make sense for us. So were there any trends from that standpoint? I think the main trend is mindset shift. A mindset shift to really being a customer first organization. And every, I mean, obviously, every retailer listening probably says we are a customer first organization. But I would respectfully sometimes challenge that and ask, are you really a, a customer first organization or, or are you also an organization where your assortment is, is based on what your buying departments can source at a right price in the right quantities? what you can store in your distribution centers, what fits in your store, and your physical stores. Are you 100% sure that you're really, really bringing to your customers what they truly want and not also factoring in a lot what's good for your business? And I think that's why I'm, I'm saying it's a, it's a mindset shift because fundamentally, when you think of marketplace, and we can get to that also, well-implemented marketplaces, they focus on providing the right assortment, at the right price, with the right level of service. And availability, price, and quality of service are and will continue to be the funding pillars of retail and commerce in general. And so these organizations all have in common that at some point, someone within the organization says, okay, we're facing growing competition, we We've tried many things, we've done omni-channel, we've done this, we've done that, but you know, we're still we still have 
conversion rates in the 1%, 2%, 3%, if you're really amazing, we're still leaving so much on the table. Why? Because most of the time people come to our website and we don't have what they want, or it's not at the same, the right price, or it's not in stock. How do we solve that? Do we try to make or buy and stock everything? We've had dropship programs sometimes for many years, but it's still a, a heavy lift on our business, on our reverse logistics, on customer support. And they look at what the fastest growing businesses have in common, and, and it's the marketplace model. And then we go through, okay, how do we do it in a way that does not conflict with the user experience that we want to provide? How does the organization navigate through the fear of cannibalization, the fear of like, what if the customers order three products and from three different sellers and they get three different boxes? Are they going to suddenly hate us for that? And, and what's interesting to your earlier points is that the world has changed. And when you look at the more than almost 400 customers who work with us and some of the brands you've mentioned, you know, Macy's, Kroger, uh, they are iconic names in retail. And, and the fact that they've, they are now embracing this model, they went through all these questions. They've overcome the, they overcame the, the, you know, the fears within sometimes the merchant organization about what you're going to sell products that we've not sourced ourselves, priced ourselves, and, and they've understood that this is really a complement to the, the main business. It's not a little uh, scrappy add-on on the side that's going to conflict with the core experience. Oh, that's great. So, I mean, if someone or I guess a team says like, yes, we want to offer this, we want to start our own marketplace, are there any strategic questions they then need to ask or address? Or is it a matter of addressing some of those challenges that you just noted, like getting the broader team and other stakeholders on board that may have objections, I guess, to making this move? Like, what does that process look like before we can get into like the tactical stuff, like user experience and and seller mix? Like, is there anything like at a higher level that, you know, needs to be answered or addressed? Yeah, I think... It starts with a C-level sponsorship. And that C-level sponsorship can come from the C-level or it can come from a change agent within the organization. And then it's aligning around a few principles or pillars. The first one is, as I said, the customers. Understanding why this could be good for your customers. And there's very different ways to find out. There is like, what are your customers searching for on your website? that basically your search engine is telling them, sorry, go see somewhere else. We don't have it. And every time we do that exercise, and trust me, it's sometimes brutal, the findings. I mean, it's imagine like it's people coming into your store and seeing empty aisles or having a salesperson in a store saying, oh, no, sorry, don't have it. You can go down the street to someone else. It's about also thinking about your brand. What does your brand mean mean today and it's not necessarily what it meant yesterday and what it will mean tomorrow what is your brand potential how do your customers associate your brand and there's so many examples around that i remember the macy ceo going on on tv on mad money when he was announcing the marketplace and he said i mean obviously it was a specific period in time but he the example he kept giving was during covid people started searching bread making machines on on macy's and we didn't carry any. So if we had a marketplace, we would be able to carry these kind of products. Obviously, this is a fringe example, but it shows that the brand means a lot for customers when you've built a great customer loyalty over the years. 
on a completely different spectrum when you have Madewell who has committed to having 15% of its sales come from Black-owned, minority-owned businesses, and, and they're leveraging their marketplace also to showcase sometimes one-person-run businesses, emerging businesses, brand, but still offer a very high level of curation, quality, product discovery. So it's really about thinking about your brand. So what it means for customers, I mean, it's simply looking at competition, who's eating your lunch. And usually this is kind of what can anchor the what are we waiting for? And then you go into more practicality, building a business case. And the building of the business case is an interesting exercise because it, it really is the one where, and we, we drive a lot of these sessions with our customers initially, it's the one where you, you see a lot of questions. I mean, the key questions are, what categories? How broad? How deep do we go with the marketplace? There's also questions around, do marketplace on our core categories? Do we allow the marketplace to compete with our own products if sometimes, you know, we don't have the products at the right price or in stock? Do we allow the marketplace on, on those products? So that's kind of a, a first layer. You start getting into a bit of more the weeds and the interesting discussions and you can bring the, the data points, the proof points. And then you go even further. You start talking about reverse logistics, about the level of seller curation, you know, if you want to scale fast, you can't have someone reviewing every product one by one. So that's where you, you need good technology behind that, that does a lot of that job for you. And in a way, the tech discussion comes after that, because if you're, I mean, I would say 100% of the time when we have a conversation with a company, they always have a lot of things on their roadmap. They always have a roadmap full you know, I've never met a company telling me, you know what? No, we have nothing to do from an IT perspective. Our teams are just like playing a puzzle and chess and every company has a full roadmap. But at some point, they choose to prioritize the marketplace or to parallelize the marketplace with other, because you only always need to do things in parallel. And then the integration, the tech piece is, is more of a an integration conversation than Obviously, unless you try to build the marketplace yourself and you, you want to go and reinvent the wheel, that's another conversation. Got it. Okay. Yeah, def definitely really helpful to understand like what are the baseline points that need to be addressed before you get into all of that tactical stuff. Before we go there, I do want to ask, are there any reasons why retailers or brands should not start their own marketplaces? Like, are there any like red flags or like areas where they're just like, oh, okay, no, like it's not for us. Like once they start unpacking all of that and digging into all of the layers there? Obviously, I mean, broadly, I would say no. Okay. <laughs> and I think what's interesting is that, as I said, we've been building Miracle for 11 years. So over the years, we've heard everything like, oh, these kind of retailers, this will never work for high-end luxury. We now have not only do we power marketplaces for high-end luxury retailers, but we're seeing the, the most luxury brands want to become sellers on marketplaces. And they, they actually sign up on Miracle Connect to do that. People said, ah, if you're running a, a very uh, critical piece of equipment or you're not going to do that and buy on a marketplace. Well, recently we run a marketplace for Airbus helicopters, for example, of parts. So, you know, it's important, like these are parts that you put in, in helicopters that fly. <laughs> and recently there was a very, very important order that came from the, from a military order. 
and buying parts on the on the marketplace. And these are flying, you know, military equipment. So we have marketplaces in in the pharmaceutical industries where people buy components to make drugs that actually cure people. We have marketplaces in of farmers who use, you know, buy things on the marketplaces to produce food that people eat. So I think there are less and less areas where one could say a marketplace won't work. I think then the question is, what role do I play in the marketplace economy? Do I become myself a marketplace? Am I a seller on other marketplaces? Do I build technology to facilitate marketplace experiences? Do I do both or all three? And that's what we're seeing more and more. We're actually seeing more and more convergence between becoming a marketplace, but also using other marketplaces as channels to sell your products. Very interesting. What role do you play in the marketplace economy? I love that. So you mentioned a little bit about some of the tactical areas. So like product mix, how like broad and deep do we want to go? We've talked about or you've mentioned user experience a couple of times. So let's say hypothetically we're part of a team and, and we say, yes, we're, we're going to do this marketplace. We're going to move forward. What do they need to think about and like who needs to be involved in, in terms of like designing this customer experience, ensuring it aligns with the brand promise and where they want to go, the role they want to play in the marketplace economy? Like what do they need to immediately be, be thinking about and, and starting to map as far as customer experience goes? I think that it all rolls up under fully integrated. The marketplace needs to be fully integrated in the core experience. So sometimes you can have a kind of tab navigation where, for example, a lot of our clients have a brands we love section. This is merchandising, but those products are also part of the overall catalog and and search engine. So um, the marketplace is not like a separate domain and you have to go to a separate URL. When someone search searches on the in the website, you don't have five pages of non-marketplace items and, and then you say, and now we have the marketplace items. And to be honest, this was quite sometimes a complexity from a search organization. And we, we actually bought a company last April called Target to Sell to actually bring this additional element that we call curation at scale. And I'll give you a very simple example. If someone goes on, let's say you, you've expanded your assortment to sell sporting goods but you're also like in the home category type of retailer. Someone goes on your website, they go in the search engine, they type, you know, basket or basketball. And if you don't do it well, you would maybe show five pages of like laundry basket, fruit basket, hampers. And on page seven, you will finally show a basketball. And that's usually um, because when the marketplace is, is integrated and they don't follow best practices that we try to advocate for, or their technology that they're using, if they're not using Miracle, creates that kind of a situation, which is why we also did this acquisition to reinforce our ability to. So it's it's integration, as I said, in the corn experience, integration in the search engine, integration in the checkout, one payment. You don't want to do like three different payments if you're buying three different products from three different sellers. And so it's really, for me, this is really the main element. Then at a secondary level comes the question of, you know, do I say sold and shipped by XYZ or do I say sold and shipped by a, a Macy's partner or do I say nothing? 
these are kind of level two considerations. They're important, but they are level two considerations. Then, then there are things that are important, like what about my loyalty program? Is it our marketplace purchases el- eligible for the loyalty program? What about my promotion? Like over the years, we've built an extremely powerful promotion engine based on our customers' feedback and, and requirements to allow marketplace sellers to be included in promotioning. And also, this is something that often is quite complex to address. So it's really around this, as you've seen, it's, it's all around how integrated the marketplace can be in the core experience, because from a customer standpoint, it has to be one. I love that. So as you're getting into all of those different layers and facets that kind of play into this experience, it seems like this is very much a cross-functional initiative. Like all hands need to be on deck because like even when you got into loyalty programs and rewards and like what are the considerations there, like I think I personally have kind of overlooked how nuanced it is, especially for the retailers that have a very strong infrastructure in place and and do have established strategies. Like if things aren't thought out, there could easily be experience hiccups. So is that fair to say that it's very much like a cross-functional initiative and everyone has their own unique role to play in mapping that experience out? Yeah, absolutely. It's a company-wide initiative that needs to be led from the top. Got it. So I do like to be, you know, a bit of a objective player in all of this, like talking about the successes and the brands that have done this really well is great. But I do want to ask about the other side of the spectrum. Like, are there any reasons or indicators that may ultimately lead to failure or lack of performance with launch, right? Again, knowing how nuanced this is and how many different areas play in, into this marketplace experience. Like, are there any key reasons that that have driven failure that you've seen over the course of your time? Yeah, I mean, the good thing about marketplaces is that the recipe to success is quite easy. And reversely, the recipe to failure is quite easy. It's kind of usually a articulated around, uh, and I recently wrote a piece on that called Why Marketplaces Fail or Do Marketplace Fail. And I think we, we always point out to three key elements. The first one is, I would say, the marketplace is, is thought as a pilot, rogue, hide it from others type of initiative. And that can take the, the shape of many different shapes. It can be, we launch a marketplace, but it's only open to one category that nobody cares about when they think of our brand. We launch a marketplace where we just have like 10 sellers and basically the, nobody can find the products. We launch a marketplace on a separate URL. So for example, we had a few years ago, we, we worked with Albertsons and there was a combination of, at the time, technical complexities on going through other projects and I would say alignment within the organization that led to launching a marketplace with a new domain, separate brand, not integrated in the core customer journey. And obviously it makes it very hard for this to be successful and and the marketplace ultimately uh, shut down. And um, a year and a half ago, Albertsons, I think, decided to relaunch a marketplace and they decided to work with another provider. And to that date, they're not live yet, which kind of brings the second point, which is marketplace 
requires technology expertise combined with business expertise. And, and also, it's not something that you do in isolation from other components, like the ability to have access to a large seller network, the ability to have access to the right partners for fulfillment, payments. And so that's also, I think, where we see failure, which is that a lot of the time when organizations try to, to build marketplace themselves. And obviously you're going to say this guy is completely biased. He's advocating for miracle. And frankly, yes, I am sorry to say that, <laughs> but we have a team of 800 people, 300 developers, and we've been doing marketplaces for 16 years. So, and just marketplaces. And it's, there's a reason behind this because it's, it's a good business model for our cl clients and it's complex to build. So, and we've seen along the way the you know, the marketplace cemetery is full of in-house built marketplace because not everyone can be Amazon and deploy billions and thousands of people to scale a marketplace. So I think that's kind of the, the second area. And, and the last one is, it goes back to your question around, it's a cross-functional and I said, yeah, it's a, it's a C-level sponsored initiative because businesses need to think large and big. And often marketplaces have failed because businesses have thought small and you can't embrace a model which is all around addressing the the desire that customers have for anything anytime anywhere and at the same time put gates everywhere to limit the marketplace and you have to go full in and it's not uh, something you're going to do on the side a lot to unpack there adrian so i mean i guess to that end it seems like these failures or you know reasons for failure seem pretty significant. Like, is there a way to course correct from these? Or is it just a matter of acknowledging, understanding these risks and just like addressing them head on before they become a problem? Yeah. I mean, obviously, ideally you start well. <laughs> right. Start on the right foot. <laughs> yeah. You start on the right foot. But I think, I mean, not I think, I know we have a lot of our customers who, who did not start on the right foot. And sometimes, honestly, I'm going to take the blame we were very pushy as an organization because we were we were startup entrepreneurs. We were trying to create a market. You know, we didn't start a company selling something that there was RFPs flowing and everybody was like, yeah, I need a marketplace, I need a marketplace. So sometimes we engage with organizations and we told them, yes, you know, just go for it, trust it. And without having the right level of alignment, and they went live with exactly what I said before, not enough sellers, opening the wrong categories. And we were, as an organization, we we were afraid sometimes to tell our partners, our new customers, no, you should start with more sellers or you should open more on core categories. And now this has changed, mainly because we don't have to say it ourselves. We let our customers say it to our future customers. <laughs> So, and one, I mean, then the recipe is simple, you know, you, you open more categories, you add more sellers and you let the technology, um, regulate the sellers, you leverage the technology to normalize the product catalog so that you have great product content and you put in place the right organization so that you can address customer support, whether you want to do level one or level two. Yeah. Then it becomes, everything becomes easier. That's great. So I don't want to be all negative and, and talk about the failures. I, I do want to, I guess, discuss some of the unique opportunities that marketplaces bring for for a more curated and, and enjoyable shopper experience, right? Like I know 
depending on the marketplace, there may be unique content opportunities. Of course, UGC, it plays a huge role across the board. Are there any like new capabilities or I guess best in class ones that, that you think really rise to the top in terms of like what separates the best in class marketplaces from all of the other ones? Like, are there any key features that you think our listeners should consider or think about? I think it's not necessarily, I mean, I think we've addressed the kind of like best in class marketplace experience around fully integrated into your side, the right level of sellers, et cetera, et cetera. Then what really is interesting for an organization is to to realize that launching a marketplace, it's not the end, it's the beginning. It's the beginning of a, of a journey that gets you to think about the next 5, 10, 15 years for your organization and how its value proposition will evolve over time. And through the services we've built, the technology we've built, we're seeing now our first generation of customers expand into much broader horizons, whether it's leveraging the marketplace to also bring services on their offering by services marketplace, having third parties provide beauty services, handyman services, you know, et cetera, installation services, et cetera. We are seeing customers think about the circular economy, sustainability, reselling. So going beyond marketplace of just new products, also capturing the, the afterlife experience of the products. So expanding also using the marketplace to also have a B2B side of their business, for example. Then also, when you launch a marketplace, you start building new relationship with the sellers on your marketplace. And Amazon has in a way paved the way for the opportunity to create more value for the sellers through uh, potential advertising, more visibility, fulfillment services. So we are starting to see some of our customers create their own fulfilled by services. And when you think of it, it, it is the start of um, rethinking your, your brand, your organization in the long run. And I think that's, that is really very interesting. Yeah, I agree. So kind of looking in, into that flywheel opportunity. So starting with the core and then building around that. Exactly. Cool. Awesome. I love that. So I do want to make sure we, we spend some time, Adrian, talking about the future because what I find really interesting is just the evolution of consumer behaviors, how they're perceiving marketplaces, how they're using them. I know I've seen data around marketplaces now becoming sources for high-level search. Like even before brands want to compare different models or brands, they're going to marketplaces because of that breadth and depth of offerings and options. I'm curious, are there any particular trends or behavioral shifts that the Miracle team is noting, acknowledging, sharing even with clients, you know, especially since your role and goal is to be experts, not just solution providers? Yeah, I mean, some of those I've mentioned earlier, I think going into um, sustainability, circular economy, bringing endless aisle in the stores. I really like one of our customers who has very large stores, but still limited in space where you walk in and the first thing you see on the at the entrance door is 12 million products in this store where the average store contains like 40,000 products and obviously it's highlighting how the true endless aisle is available in uh, in the store we've seen companies like the bay in canada 
create marketplace picks in the stores where they're basically allocating space to products that have emerged as discoveries or bestsellers on, on the marketplace. So there's a lot of like store to online, online to store also evolutions that we are seeing. And yeah, and I think from a trends perspective, I mean, I mentioned it earlier, but I think a lot of our customers are starting to think about how themselves can use marketplaces, maybe internationally, to expand their distribution. I was in London this week with the CEO of a very large apparel brand, and they actually um, launched a marketplace, which is interesting because normally you'd think a brand sells their own product, but they've actually embraced this. Oh, we as a brand, we're trusted by our customers to potentially present other products in front of them. But they were telling me, oh, you know, uh, we would love also to sell on some marketplaces you have on the other side of the pond. And so I think this is also interesting because it's it shows the blurring borders, the blurring borders that digital has has kind of created where, as I was saying, you know, you can be, you compete, but you also partner more. And you can have your stores, bring products from third parties in your stores online, bring your products on other stores, other geographies. And ultimately, it goes back to my first point, which is you try to be a truly customer-centric organization. And you realize that if you try to do it alone, you're never going to be that. Yeah, I think that's a great point because I know that I myself, like, more than ever, like my goal is to find and discover new brands. So if a retailer that I like to shop with can almost be the source or destination for that discovery, that's just a win-win, I feel like. But I feel like we can go on and on about all of those different opportunities and, you know, what the future may hold. But sadly, we are out of time today, Adrian. I do want to ask you, though, just again, if you were to kind of summarize what you think the future will hold for marketplaces, how this particular space within retail will evolve over the next year, and most importantly, how retailers and brands listening can kind of seize this growth opportunity. I mean, what, what would you share just to kind of put a bow on, on this very big but important conversation that we had today? Yeah, that's like a, a lot of pressure. No, I, I think, <laughs> I think we're, we're just at the beginning of the marketplace revolution. I think that marketplace will be part of commerce. And unfortunately, in 10 years, we won't be able to have these kind of conversations because it will have become the norm. But that marketplace will really spark deep transformations in the way retail organizations think about their potential, whether it's selling different products, selling differently, selling in different places, and sometimes selling without owning facilitating, creating connections, creating value by being at the center of an ecosystem and not necessarily operating like they've done in, in the past. So I think it's, it's really exciting because we're really at the beginning of what the critical mass that has been building up over the last 15 years, the millions of new digital stores, the, the whole investment in, in digital capabilities and digital commerce capabilities, the rise of of the marketplace economy. And I think we're kind of at this tipping point, which is what you said at the beginning, by the way. And this is a, a long lasting revolution. 
Love that. Well, Adrian, thank you again so much for taking the time out. I know you're a busy man. Your team has a lot going on right now. Very exciting stuff, but appreciate you taking the time out to share your lessons, your learnings, and of course, some great recommendations for our listeners today. Thank you again. My pleasure. Thank you very much. And to all of you, we would love to keep the conversation going on this very exciting and quickly evolving topic and area of the retail industry. Drop us a line on social media. We are on Twitter at our touchpoints or on LinkedIn at Retail Touchpoints. We'll make sure Adrian and his team are included in those follow-up notes, questions, comments, because again, this is all about conversation and, and finding new ways to bring the industry forward. So we look forward to hearing your thoughts there. And of course, if you have not subscribed already, we are having weekly conversations with experts like Adrian. So be sure not to miss out on the next new one. Go to your preferred podcast player and subscribe. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, frankly, anywhere else. We are probably there. And that way you can get the latest conversation delivered directly to your preferred device. But for now, that's it from us, everyone. Thank you again. We will see you next week. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Remix. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast player. Until next time, keep mixing it up.